Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A-Time.com. going everybody really excited to welcome drew kelleher to the philosophy podcast drew is the head coach at manhattan and really fired up to have you on board here drew how you doing doing great jamie thanks for uh, thanks for having me awesome man always good to catch up and talk lacrosse with you yeah definitely i feel like uh back down in florida again we're definitely gonna have to touch on the spring break 2013 though so um all right drew as i do with most of the coaches that come on the podcast i'd love to start off with your playing and coaching journey so give us a little uh give us a little five minute on where you came from and how you got to where you are yeah so uh i grew up in in the albany new york area um you know honestly how i got into lacrosse was uh, i was probably you know a bigger hockey player as a young guy and then uh, lacrosse kind of became cool because of a family you know everybody in lacrosse world knows uh, the lavelles um you know i grew up around mike and kevin yeah um, you know, weren't, wasn't necessarily close with them, but, you know, obviously got to, got to see how good they were and kind of, you know, track them and uh, played for a team called the Albany Capitals uh, growing up um, and then attended Bethlehem High School, um, which was not a powerhouse by any means in men's lacrosse. Uh, our women's lacrosse team was, was fantastic. Um, and then, you know, the only reason I really got recruited was, um, you know, I was an alternate for the Empire State Games uh, going into my senior year of high school. Um, and a guy named Terry Corcoran was working with us. Um, and he, he gave my name to Coach Bevel up at Vermont. Um, so went up to UVM, played there for four years, uh, studied education. Uh, and then immediately out of college, I uh, was presented the opportunity to work uh, for a guy named Scott Barnard uh, out at Hamilton. Um, and, uh, you know, went into it kind of seeing, all right, is coaching something I definitely want to do? And, um, you know, Scotty helped me fall in love with, with coaching and, uh, you know, mentoring guys and, 
you know, we had a really good two years at Hamilton and had a blast and then uh, moved on to work with Coach Speck uh, over at Siena College um, and probably the best team I've ever coached in 2012, um, you know, lost in the MAC finals and in really tough fashion. Um, and after that year, um, you know, Ryan Poley and I connected and, and we started the Boston University program, um, spent a year uh, recruiting, uh, really just hammering the road. And that's when we were down in Florida for, for three weeks, watching, watching spring break 3D, um, you know, and obviously had, had a couple really good seasons there. And then the, uh, the head job opened up here at Manhattan and uh, both my parents went here, my grandfather went here. So kind of had a connection with the, with the school and, um, you know, felt like the right time and, and ended up, you know, being fortunate enough to get the job. Awesome. What a pretty good, that was like the quickest, you know, you could have done that, you know, between the first floor and the 12th floor on an elevator for sure. That was impressive. <laughs> I, I usually have to, you know, we were up on, the, <laughs> I had to get it, I had to get it out before I got home usually. All right. So I want to, I want to take it back to uh, the Vermont days. So did you know that uh, Coach Bevel was my first boss at Colorado College? I actually did not. I can only imagine what that was like, though. Oh, yeah. 1990. You know, we won our uh, we won our championship. We beat Air Force twice that year. And uh, Beef was uh, I was I was 22 going on 23. And he was probably like, you know, 20, 27 or 28. And um, it was it was the Wild West for sure. Um, we will not tell any stories on this podcast. But uh, after the after the show, I'll tell you a couple of good ones. <laughs> Now, Coach Bevel was, was awesome to play for. I mean, you know, listen, it was – we were – I think we were 9-5 and five that year uh, up in Vermont. And, you know, I actually learned a ton. We had some really good players on that team. But, um, you know, what, what I learned the most from Coach Bevel was emphasizing athleticism. Um, yeah. I was certainly not the most athletic coming out of high school. And, you know, his emphasis on get strong and run fast. Um, you know, I, I'll never forget his, his theory. Somebody asked him at a convention, you know, you know, how do you run out the clock at the end of the game? And he goes, I just give it to the fast kid. Um, and, you know, he kept it that simple, but it, but it worked. Um, and, yeah. you know, I, I love playing for coach Bevel. Yeah. I mean, honestly, beef is, uh, he's an all time great guy, all time, great friends. And, um, and you're right. He keeps it simple, but he is a student of the game. Um, so then talk, talk to me a little bit about what you took from your Hamilton experience. Yeah. I mean, coaching the NESCAC is, is really unique. Um, you know, when I got there, I'll be, I'll be honest, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know the rules of you no know, fall ball, can't start till February. Um, so what I learned was you had to get really, really creative in how you coach, um, you know, a lot of time in the office, whether it's just putting on a, you know, I remember we used to watch the UMass Virginia NCAA tournament game. I had that DVD. You kind of just popped on DVDs you had and you just talk about it with your players. Um, and I, I loved it. You know, it was it was kind of like uh, a little bit of like a burn the boats kind of thing for me where I'm outside of Utica, New York, no family or friends. I'm just all in on coaching. Um, it's all I had to do and uh, was able to hone my craft. And where Scott was unbelievable was he, he let me do that. Um, you know, Scott gave me uh, a lot of confidence in what I was doing and uh, believed in what I was bringing to the table. Um, and the guys there were, were great. They loved lacrosse. I think one thing about the NESCAC guys that, that I've grown to appreciate is they're really there because they want to play um, and they have so much ownership of what they're doing. Um, so that's something I've actually started trying to implement a little bit more here with, with some hands-off stuff, but um, now Hamilton was a great time and, and, you know, a fun place to work. 
My uh, my wife Sarah is a Hamilton Continental. Did you know that? I did know that. I did know yeah. that she's a Continental. Yeah, and um, you know, there's something is there is something special about coaching in Division three because there there's just so much less staff and, and and it just gives you the opportunity right out of college same with me when I was coaching with beef I, I got a chance to be an offensive coordinator at age 23 and I really you know it was my first coaching gig and you know like you don't really know what you're doing but you know but that's the best way to learn right definitely I mean you're you're the offensive coordinator but you're also you know the equipment guy you're also the bus scheduler the hotel organizer you and the Zamboni driver uh, my, uh, my side hustle was, I was a substitute teacher. And then, uh, also for women's hockey games, I was on the mic. Um, so nice. I was introducing the starting lineups and it was, uh, I was electric. <laughs> my side hustle was I was skiing. <laughs> so, um, so I want to hear a little bit more about the 2012 Sienna team that you say is one of the best teams you've ever been on. Yeah. So, uh, coach Speck got hired, I want to say in June and, and I was brought in probably in August of, I guess it would be 2011. Um, and they, Sienna at the time, Coach Brecht had just moved on to Rutgers and um, they had just lost to Syracuse in the NCAA tournament. Um, and they brought a lot of guys back. Um, so we were really lucky to have a, an incredible senior class um, coming back for us. And what was really cool about that experience was, you know, Coach Svek kind of brought the Albany mentality of, of let's go. Um, and, you know, for me, it was a really different experience of learning how to let the guys play a lot uh, because they were so experienced and so talented. I mean, we had a guy named uh, Brian Neufeld, who um, yeah. I believe he's the all-time leading scorer in, in the MAC. Um, I mean, he was as talented a guy as I've ever been around. Um, you know, I had my favorite MIDI I've ever coached, a guy named Chris Roth. Um, he, and he had 50 points as a senior, as a MIDI. Um, you know, we just had a really cool way of playing. And, um, you know, I learned a ton from coach Speck that year about kind of not getting in the guy's way. Um, you know, I came from Hamilton where I wanted to scout everybody, know what they had for breakfast and, and go from there. And he said, Drew, I think with this group, maybe a little bit less is more. Um, and, and we kind of kept, you know, the defensive end for sure. Definitely really simple offensively. You know, I actually watched a game from that year last week. We ran like four things, um, but we were really good at them and we had good players doing it. Um, so, you know, John really emphasized letting them make decisions, let them play. And, um, that was one of the coolest years of my life. And, and unfortunately, you know, we lost in kind of heartbreaking fashion, but, um, you know, that, that season, you know, definitely, uh, taught me a ton about my philosophy of, of, you know, teaching them and letting them play, you know? Yeah. And so then you went on to, uh, to, to coach with coach Poli at BU, in a, in a total startup situation, what was that like? That was wild. Um, you know, for the first year, uh, it was just Coach Foley and myself. Um, and it was literally from scratch. You know, there was a club team there and uh, I worked with them, you know, maybe, you know, 10, 15 times uh, just to be around and, and see what we had. But it was really all recruiting. Um, we brought in 15, uh, excuse me, 15, 35 guys in that first class. Uh, which was wild uh, managing 35, you know, families through the recruiting process at a really wow. good academic school. Um, that was an adventure, but, you know, Ryan and I became really close because we went through that together. And, um, you know, that first, I'll never forget the feeling of the first practice there when all of a sudden these guys that were just names on a whiteboard or our bodies on your field. And, 
Um, you know, watching it just become real was, was incredible. Um, you know, I think the first year was, was kind of, it was definitely tricky. Um, uh, you know, the other assistant coach, Justin Domingos and I, I think we talked all the time about how we were not just the coordinators, but we were the captains of the team a little bit. Yeah. Uh, because nobody, you know, we had a couple transfers, but they were all younger. Um, you know, the club guys were great, but they didn't really know necessarily what we were looking for. Um, so Justin and I had to wear a lot of hats and, and we loved it though. I mean, when we got that first win against Lafayette, there was no better feeling for us, you know, as coaches who had put so many time, so much time into it and, you know, spent a lot of long, you know, lonely nights in motel sixes and God knows where trying to find the next kid. Um, you know, it was really rewarding. And then, you know, obviously as we grew as a program, you know, beating, you know, I always remember beating Colgate in the snow and uh, a lot of really cool milestones. Everything was a first. Uh, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. And, you know, our staff, we were really close because we did it together. Um, and, and that was a lot of fun. How many years were you there? So I ended up being three total, uh, two seasons of lacrosse, uh, the one season of, of just rental cars and hotels. So the very first year it was just recruiting. And yep. uh, that was when you joined us for a three week stint down in uh, St. Pete beach, <laughs> 3d spring break. I mean, man, were those the days or what? Uh, I mean, you, you sit outside, you got a, got a nice beach bar sitting there for you afterwards. And you just go coach, coach teams, watch guys. And that was awesome. I mean, that was so cool. And I'll never forget the guy driving by us with the dead rattlesnake in the back of his truck. And I'm like, Oh God, where am I? But uh, we had a blast. That was so much fun and meeting all those coaches, but that was our year of just hustling around the country and networking yeah. and, and trying to piece it all together. We had a great time talking a lot of lacrosse too. I remember like yeah. I was coaching, I think I was coaching Mountain Vista High School and you'd come hang out and it was <laughs> so cool just to be able to talk lacrosse for three straight weeks. It yeah. Blast, wasn't it? Oh, it was awesome. That was so much fun. Just, and I learned as much as I gave. I mean, I think for, for me, selfishly, I got to watch guys like you and all these other awesome high school coaches and yeah, just learn different drills. I mean, I think in college, sometimes we become so consumed with, you know, scheme. You know, I learned more about developing guys in those three weeks than, than I probably had in a long time. So I thought that was really fun for me. And, you know, honestly, like, you know, coaches would hand me their team and I could experiment. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that a lot. And you can't, you'll never, you'll never forget Hermie the Hermit Crab, will you? No, I will never forget the hermit crabs. Didn't one get loose on the plane or something? Yeah, got loose in our house. It was Lucy's hermit crab. And uh, it, like lost, got lost in the house for a week. And then we kind of heard it scratching against the wall. And then we found it. But what was it? You had, you had your own, um, you had your own fish or something at the time, right? No, Larry the lobster or something? Yeah, Loberto. Loberto. Uh, lobster tank back in, uh, in Boston. <laughs> yeah, the good old days. Back, back in the bachelor days. My wife now would would not approve of a fish tank and a lobster. <laughs> um, all right. So then you end up taking the job at, at Manhattan. Um, how many years you've been there now? So we just finished uh, what would be our fifth. Fifth year. We're entering our sixth year here. So like a pretty big rebuild, um, and, you know, trying to shore up everything from facilities to recruiting to culture. Talk to me about what this, what that was like. And let's, let's sort of start with, and we're, any one of those three, but let's kind of touch on all those. Yeah. I mean, when we got here, it was, it was definitely an interesting situation and, and um, you know, anything from even having a full set of jerseys uh, to a ball bucket, um, it wasn't here. Um, and I don't say that to, to get poor me's or anything. It's just where we were and 
yeah. uh, where we had to start from. I mean, we didn't even have an office. Um, so we were starting from scratch and, and in a lot of ways that was really cool. Um, it was certainly challenging, you know, it was like a, you know, again, milestones, you know, we got an equipment deal for the first time and um, you know, we had part of why I took the job was they were, you know, adding a full-time strength coach for the first time. So there was a lot of stuff that was coming in um, that would lead to hopefully growth. Um, but it was tough. I mean, you know, we, you know, I was lucky to hire an unbelievable, you know, first assistant coach who's still with me and John O'Dearna, um, who's been through it with me from, from the day we got here. Um, and we had some really, really good guys in the program as far as people. Um, the talent level wasn't necessarily where we wanted it. Um, but, you know, from not having a locker room to tough field times, we were at 6 a.m. my whole first year here because, you know, we had the last pick of practice times. Um, my first group was incredibly bought in and they would, they would try anything we asked. And that's, that's the biggest compliment I think you can give a player is being coachable and being willing to, to try new things. Um, you know, and obviously since then we've, we've been able to do a lot. We've got a brand new uh, locker room facility that I'm sitting in right now. Um, you know, we've had a few really good assistants come through here. I had Andrew Hodgson who did a great job. Uh, then we had Jack Runkle who moved on to LIU last year. Uh, and now we have Dave Fraboni who's, who's been awesome for us. So, you know, I think our infrastructure is here to, to start being a really good program. Um, our win total has increased, which is, which is great. It's not where we want it. Uh, we felt like we were really close last year. I was one of those coaches that felt like we were, yeah. you know, kind of going where we wanted to go. Um, and it just kind of got taken away, but um, you know, we think the foundation is here to, to get going, but it, it definitely took time. You know, I think, you know, every coach when they take a job over says, you know, year one might be tough, but I think we will be fine in year two and three. You know, it took us three, four years to kind of get, you know, the foundation of not just people, not just facilities, not just scholarships, not just staffing, but, you know, the cultural pieces in that, that we needed to get. And, and we're finally, you know, I feel like there. Um, so it's exciting. How do you focus on culture? It's really interesting to listen because some coaches are, you know, they've got like a manual and then other coaches are more like, look, you know, let's just let's not overthink it. Be a good person. Let's work hard and enjoy it. You know, where are you, where you fall on that spectrum? I'd say somewhere in the middle. I'd say I've tried it all. <laughs> um, I think, I think if you, if you, if you stop thinking about it, I think you're going to get in trouble. Um, but I also think the best cultures oftentimes aren't talked about. Um, you know, on my wall behind me here, it says it's not that hard to be a good guy. Um, so that's, that's one of our main rules is, is just be a good person first. Um, but, you know, I think where we've been really lucky is, is, getting the right players kind of on your side, so to speak. Um, you got to have some really good leaders early on that are willing to try and do what you're asking. Um, and I think, you know, one of my biggest challenges here was, was New York city. Um, part of the reason you come here is New York city, but also one of the hardest things to do is manage New York city. Um, and our guys have really, I think grown in that regard. I think lacrosse and school are, are by far number one priority right now. And, and the social piece is, is a distant third, which is, you know, I think the sign of our team getting, getting where we want to go, but um, you know, from a culture standpoint, I think it's, it's a work in progress. You know, you want guys that are going to put the time in and invest and, and uh, buy in and finding creative ways to encourage that without it getting stale, I think is probably the toughest task as a coach. Yeah, no doubt. And it's, you know, it changes every single year. That's the tricky part. I mean, honestly, to me, it's so much about relationships. Yep. So 
Let's talk a little bit about player development because one of the things you've got to be trying to do is get the best athletes you can and then develop them. So by the time they're juniors, they're yeah. skilled enough to be able to compete with anybody and everybody. So how do you do that? Yeah. I mean, listen, I think, I think that's uh, where we've probably grown the most as a staff is identifying in the recruiting process stuff that, that we like to work with that fits what we try to do. Um, I think for us, schematically we have to be very simple um, because we do spend a lot of time developing uh, skills and, and different techniques. So, you know, when, when we're recruiting somebody, we're looking for certain things, you know, whether it's speed hands uh, you know, coach O'Durner spends a lot of time looking at footwork on the defensive end, but for the reason, like you said, is it a guy that we can work with? Um, so with skill development, I mean, even right now during COVID, you know, every, every day we're spending an hour with our guys and we haven't done any contact this year. We're working on, you know, kind of our, our fundamentals of our team, which, you know, on the offensive side, it's a ton of dodging stuff. Um, you know, obviously shooting and, and, and scoring uh, defensively, it's a ton of footwork. It's a ton of communication stuff. Um, so, you know, when it comes to developing guys, to me, that's the most important part of what we do. Um, you know, some of our best players here, you know, I'll use, I'll use our goalie, who I think is a top, you know, two, three goalie in the country. Um, he didn't play a game in high school. He went to Chaminade and was a backup. Um, he's developed, he's worked at it. Um, and, I, and I'll be honest, I think, I think coaches sometimes take too much credit for development. Um, I, think, I think ultimately development comes from what the guys are doing on their own time. And I have a lot of guys that, you know, the ball bucket's not here a lot of times at 6 a.m. So I think development, you know, ultimately falls on them, what they're willing to put in to master stuff, uh, not necessarily just what we're teaching them. I would love to hear a little bit about what you're teaching them. I love listening to you talk about dodging ever yeah. since you came out to the uh, to the 3D Summit. Remember that back out in Colorado? And you did an awesome talk. Who was there with you? Is Nick Myers? Was he out there? Yes, yeah, I think it was Coach Myers and myself. That that warehouse is still a place I would love to love to have. That indoor facility is cool. But that was a nice little facility to have in your back pocket. That place was pretty sick. So <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, listen, we're still teaching a lot of the same stuff with how to coordinate your hands with your neck and your feet. Um, Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I, I kind of go back to when I was at Boston, you know, the thing that we struggled the most with early on as a team offensively was being able to beat our guy, you know, when you're 18 years old and you haven't been through a, a full strength conditioning program and you're trying to dodge a D midi from, from army or Navy, it's, it's tough. Um, so we really had to work a lot on deception and, um, you know, the guy who was, was playing hoops in Boston at the time was, was uh, Rajon Rondo. And I thought he had the best crossover. So, so we'd, you know, watch kind of his crossover on film. And the one thing he did an unbelievable job of was using his neck and, and kind of being a bobblehead um, to, to manipulate where he's going. So he'd use his head to say one way and then somehow end up going the other. Um, so we spent a lot of time with those guys working on shake and how you can manipulate your hand to, to, you know, be deceptive, um, you know, and, and Coach Meyer is actually at that exact uh, summit. He talked about making an S with your hand, and I loved that. So I took that one home with me. Um, so we're still doing a lot of that stuff, um, you know, but I think ultimately the biggest thing we talk about with dodging is is it's one thing to get a step on your guy. It's another thing to kind of finish him um, and, and cutting your guy off and um, getting your body uh, to a point. And, you know, what I've gotten a lot to, too, is if you, if you imagine dodging the high wing, trying to get back to your inside hand a lot more uh, to kind of demand a slide or you get a better angle on your shot. So um, that's kind of what we're teaching with dodging right now. A lot of, of even with smaller guys being physical, 
the right way. So back to the, this uh, split dodge technique, it's, it's kind of like using jabs with your feet in your hands yep. and then using your shake is almost like, it's like dragging your head opposite. You're like yep. dragging it behind you so that you're showing that you're going, the, you're already moving in the direction you want to move, but your, your body is giving the appearance that you're going by dragging it kind of, that's the bobblehead. Is that, is that, is that sufficient? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of just, just using your head as part of your deception. Um, yeah. And I think that kind of like loosened you up. If you watch, you, know, you watch the PL, you watch a guy like Romar Dennis. I mean, I remember, um, you know, playing against him in person and in his split dodge would leave guys in the third row. Um, you know, he's kind of got that really big split dodge where he can get separation. And, um, you know, that was part of where I learned that from was that he, he really lets his head kind of wobble. So, um, you know, we talk a lot with our guys about using your neck and, and being able to manipulate your torso a little bit. What about where you're looking? That's the tricky part, right? You know, you want to be looking where you're going, hopefully. But, you know, I think if you can use your peripheral to, to kind of be able to, to take yourself somewhere, I think that would help. Yeah, sometimes I think that part of you, part of the the head, the bobblehead is you're actually turning your head opposite, right? Just for that moment. Yeah. Yep, yep, because you know where you're going, right? They're reacting. You know where you're going. And um, the offense gets to say go. <laughs> exactly. They they got to answer to us. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, listen, I think different guys, you know, can dodge in different ways too. Um, you know, whether you're six foot five and, and you're fast or you're, you know, I, let, I was a little guy, so I kind of have always had an affinity for being small and quick, but um, I think being able to use multiple techniques is, is important too. How's it going everybody? Jamie here. Thanks for listening. If you've been enjoying the content in my philacrosophy podcast, my inside the eight podcasts or my lacrosse weekend blogs, I would encourage you to check out the store at jamefreesports.com. I've created awesome content for coaches, players, and parents in both men's and women's lacrosse for coaches, the coaches training program. It's, it's a combination of cutting edge and practical. We have division one men's and women's coaches all the way down to high school, JV and youth. For players, I've created JM3 player academies, which are designed to teach every variation of every skill for boys and girls cross. And for parents, I've created JM3 recruiting portal, where I've taken all of the content from my blogs, my podcasts, from webinars and other interviews, and pooled all of this information in one place where parents can get access to incredible content and insights from the very coaches that you're hoping to play for. You talk about cutting your guy off and, and you talk about even the smaller guys need to be able to do that. And I think a lot of times people are like, well, I mean, I can't be a physical Dodger if I'm smaller, but how does that work? And why is it so important, maybe more important for the smaller guy to be able to cut his guy off? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, being a littler guy, it's almost more important to be physical the right way. Um, you know, a guy who I, again, I, you know, I think imitation is the strongest form of flattery. I think about watching Jordan Wolf back in college um, and how he can, he gets an advantage. He gets low and he gets in front of you and you have two choices. Either you jack him in the back where he's turning the corner and scoring. It's one of the two. Um, and I think that applies at the midfield too. Um, you know, so many, so many guys kind of love to fade to the corner and take that alley runner. Um, we spend so much time on getting back in front of your guy and, um, you know, making them react to your body and, and getting leverage the right way. Um, you know, the old low man wins philosophy, I think yeah. still applies everywhere. Um, but we, we work with our small attack and even on turning the corner, we're going to sit really low and, you know, a lot of teams obviously have big defensemen, you know, make them get down to our level and, 
you know, we also talk about, you know, where we want to get um, with the understanding that the defense, the defenseman's going to have uh, success at some point too. So if you're fighting for a certain spot and he gets his hand on you, where's he putting you? Um, so, you know, I'll give you an example. I know everybody teaches five and five and, um, you know, I think with my guys, what's worked a lot is we fight for one and one, let's get to the easiest place on the field to score from. And if the defenseman can manipulate us at all, maybe we end up at three and three or four and four or five and five. Um, so little things like that is kind of what we're, we're teaching now to kind of keep it fresh for our guys. So my question to you is it makes perfect sense. All the things you're working about, working on and teaching, there's probably a lot of ways to skin a cap at the way you're doing. And I think is excellent. My question to you is what about the context of everybody else in your way? Because being, being able to beat your guy is one thing, but the, seems to me that one of the hardest, one of the biggest um, challenges is people, other defenders, but it's also oftentimes one of your biggest opportunities when, when you know how to manipulate them. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of that does come back to, at least at our level, it is, it is a scouting thing. Um, you know, our biggest struggle here, honestly, for the first couple of years was his teams didn't really have to slide to us. We weren't necessarily uh, able to beat our guy enough. So, you know, our, our number one priority was, um, you know, being able to beat our man, you know, and, and against different approaches, whether somebody's forcing you down an alley, whether they're squaring you up, up top, um, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, reading whether they're in a V hold or they're going to just try and, you know, drive you upfield, all that kind of stuff. So I think, I think there's a lot of reactionary stuff there and a lot of situational stuff that, um, you know, we spend a lot of time on film on talking about, but I think as a coach, it's also kind of our job to educate the off ball guys on, on where we want them and how to play, um, you know, and, and taking away that kind of help uh, that, that obviously a lot of teams are using. Awesome. Um, let's um, switch gears and talk a little bit about offensive philosophy now, big picture. Yeah. You know, I think, I think my philosophy has definitely evolved a lot um, depending on where I am and it evolves year to year. I think, um, you know, at Sienna, I left Sienna being like, wow, you know, we were, you know, top five offense in the country and we were fun and gun. Um, and to go from a team with a, with a, a litany of talented seniors to go to Boston where we had, you know, a full team of freshmen, we couldn't play that way and, and win games. So, um, you know, becoming a better, you know, more organized six on six team and, being able to do more, you know, Ryan uh, really challenged me as an offensive coordinator to evolve and find different, you know, schematic things and uh, how to manufacture goals. Um, you know, so I think year to year, it really, really changes for us. You know, I think overall, we'd like to play in transition. Um, we'd like to really attack early. Our challenge has been, you know, we have not had, you know, the success at the faceoff X that, you know, we feel we need to kind of go all the time. Um, you know, we clear the ball really well. We got a great goalie. But to keep those possession numbers high, um, we just weren't doing it at the faceoff X. So we've become a little bit more of a six on six team. Um, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, what shots we want rather than just taking, you know, the first shot. We want the best shot. And, um, you know, the shot clock, I think, has helped us a lot with with being organized and, and getting into things quickly. And, um, you know, my guys last year were really bought into our offensive philosophy of of generating quality opportunities and and you know, getting guys to their strengths as much as possible with two man games and manipulating matchups. And, um, you know, we're still doing all that kind of stuff for sure. What, what is a quality shot? What is the shot you want? I think it changes for a person. Um, I think different guys have different strengths and, and guys knowing that, but, you know, we're, we're working a ton on getting to the middle of the field more. Um, you know, I think 
whether it's whether it's through you know redodging to the middle or two man game to get to the middle, we're really focusing on either getting underneath and getting um, you know to the right spot on the field. You know, I heard I think it was you know the Penn State guys talking about we don't want any shots going off sidelines. Um, I think that's something that's you know a good good benchmark too of of where are we taking them from, what angles. Um, but you know we talked to our guys about the shots that are best for them um, and. And for our offense and our guys, you know, we're a pretty experienced group now. They, they kind of know each other's uh, tendencies and strengths and where we want to get them. So what what sets you like running out of these days? You guys run, and do you do much two man? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, last year we were primarily playing out of like a kind of a one four with a single X and, and a pick on the high wing and doing some off ball rotation stuff. Um, you know, we think we're a little bit more balanced than we've been with lefties and righties. Um, so doing some some open stuff too in pairs looks and um, you know, obviously I think everybody's doing some kind of big little behind, uh, but we're still doing the high wing. You know, we're, we're pretty, I think we're pretty diverse. I think we do some uh, you know, we mix it up throughout the course of a game and, you know, I'm a guy that watches, you know, the defense a lot and tries to see what their strengths are. And, you know, we do try and manipulate, you know, what we like to do for what they can and can't do uh, to the best we can. What would you say your philosophy is on man up? Man up. We've been very set play heavy here. Um, we've been doing a lot of set stuff. I think this year I want to get away from that. Um, you know, I, I, again, another thing that's evolved, I think a few years back we were heavy three, three, um, especially at Boston. We'd always get back to a three, three. I think uh, something I'd like to start doing a little bit more of here is, is some one, three, two stuff, um, making people guard X. Um, you know, we get <laughs> Coach Oderna might be the best man down coach in the country. He's been the best man down in the last two years. Wow. Um, so we get challenged with it. So, uh, you know, we're trying to manufacture man up goals every day in practice. So uh, that's something we're, we're actually looking at, you know, to, to overhaul a little bit this year. What is it about a one, three, two that you like that you don't get from your three, three? So what I, what we've started doing, is going kind of one, three, two to a sideways three, three. Um, I think we have a really good two-handed attackman who can kind of swing and gate it, as we call it, to, to either side and still have six above goal line, um, while also making guys turn their backs to your shooters as you go through X. Um, I think that's important. Um, and I think, you know, if you have the right personnel and have the sticks in the right spots, I think you can generate some pretty good step-down shooting opportunities. You know, we're not um, – we're not necessarily gifted with an unbelievable inside finisher. Um, so finding ways to get creative, to get perimeter guys, some shots from, you know, not too deep. Um, I think the one, three, two kind of allows for some skip lanes and, you know, the, the challenge with the one, three, two is you want to avoid being stagnant up top. So I think allowing them to kind of step into gaps and passing lanes and, and get creative there. That's kind of my ultimate hope this year. All right, let's, let's switch gears to defense. So what's your guys and Coach Adjourna's uh, defensive philosophy? Yeah, I mean, we, we're a team defense. Uh, we, we help every way we can. Um, you know, I think, again, we're blessed with a really good goalie. Um, so understanding the shots that he likes to see, um, you know, and trying to, to dictate that. You know, our first couple of years here, we were trying to find wins. Uh, we did play a lot of zone. Um, and as we've gotten better, we kind of stuck to working on man-to-man -man principles every year we're almost hundred percent man to man now. Um, and again, understanding our personnel, um, you know, we're, we're okay getting beat as long as, as long as we get beat to the right spots. And, um, you know, the way he always says it, he said six guys doing the wrong thing is can always equal a right if it, if it's done correctly. So, 
Um, you know, as long as everybody's on the same page, we're in good shape, but you know, he does a great job of, of scouting teams and, and putting them in the right spot and knowing what shots we want our opponents to take uh, for our goalie. And um, you know, we've, we've, we've been very show heavy at times, but I think last year we started sliding more um, and mixing up where we're coming from. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, he's, he's figured out what, what our identity is and sticking to that has helped us a ton. You say you uh, switch up where you're coming from. What are some examples of that and how you do it? Yeah. I mean, whether, you know, I don't know if we're buck now, <laughs> I don't know if we're, we're, we're changing mid mid set, but um, you know, being able to come from the crease or, you know, coming off clear throughs or showing from different spots. Um, you know, he's a really good teacher of, you know, different hedging techniques that, that I think have been really effective for us. And um, you know, I, I think he's pretty creative with it, but at the same time, Jamie, I think, like anything here, we, we try to keep it really simple schematically because we're working so much on, on individual skill that, yeah. um, you know, being able to do one thing really well is, is more effective for us to be an average at five or six different defenses. So yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. That's worked for us. What's your guys, uh, how do you play invert defense? Depends. Um, depends on who we're playing. I think it depends on the scheme. You know, if it's a big little, you know, a lot of times we'll fall off and, um, you know, let the pole go behind and play and just, you know, kind of match when they come above GLE. Um, we've done, we've done different things to, you know, go into different zones of top. Um, but it's very scout heavy, depending on who we're playing. If, you know, I think a lot of times defenses can become predictable when they go into whatever their designated slider is. Um, so sometimes we don't even, we'll say we're not going to inverts and just say we got to win the short stick matchup because, you know, we don't want to be that predictable and not even help. Um, but, we have a, a couple different things we can do there, uh, whether it's going into zones, you know, play hands behind, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, awesome. What's um, what's a practice like at Manhattan? It's go go go. Um, you know, we have, <laughs> you know, you talk about an institution that fits a coach. You know, this place is kind of fits me. Uh, we have one field, and we got six teams that use it. So we got our two hours out there, um, and we got to get our stuff in. So, um, you know, right from the jump. You know, we'll, we'll start with individual skills. We'll probably do a good 30, 40 minutes of, of individual skills. Wow, it's a lot. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, one challenge we have here, Jamie, and, and it's not a challenge, it's, it's, it's who we are. Um, you know, we don't have an indoor facility they can go play wall ball all the time or they can't. It's tough to find shooting time out here. So, you know, we do take practice time to work on that stuff. Um, we're in New York City. It's, a, it's our blessing. And, um, you know, so we try to get a good chunk of individual skill in. Um, and then, you know, obviously do a good transition period and, you know, then start kind of working on our schemes and obviously time of year depends on what we're doing, but, you know, we try to always do some sort of one-on-one with -on -one, a short approach, long one-on-ones, invert stuff, uh, you know, try to hit that every day, but, you know, it's a lot of individual time and build up to kind of full team stuff at the end. And, you know, the only non-negotiable that I have here is we touch clearing every damn day. Um, my first year here, we were, I think we were in the high sixties clearing. Um, and for about two years, all summer, all I did was watch every darn team's clears. Uh, and we've grown there. Thank God. But we will clear the ball every day. <laughs> so what, give me some examples of like what you, what you learn from watching so much film and what you've done to become a better clearing team. Cause you're right. That's like, it's pretty, pretty uh, disappointing when you got to stop and you can't clear it. In failing clears as a head coach is, is, you know, the worst, um, I, honestly, finding again, it's like anything else, finding, you know, what you're good at and, and getting, 
you know, and just sticking to it. I think, you know, we, we don't need to get out quick every time if we're not trying to find a fast break. Um, so we'll, you know, hunt with two short sticks. Um, you know, I, we keep it really simple for our goalies. We've gone to a two down clear and, you know, our goalie needs to throw one of three passes up to his left, up to his right, or across to his bar, uh, to our, our other anchor man. Um, and, and we've just gotten really good at it. We've gotten part hold drills that we spend a lot of time on with clearing. Um, and you know, the trick of it is it's like any good offense or defense. We've found out how we want to manipulate our clear. If somebody's 10 manning us, it's really not that simple or it's not that difficult to, to, to manipulate schematically for us. Um, but we've, we've just gotten creative within our guys. Honestly, it's like anything. We were so bad at clearing that our guys, you know, started to care about clearing. And if we have a bad clearing practice, it's not just Coach Keller that's fired up. You better believe our goalie and our defensemen are pissed off. Um, it's, it's a passion project here now, which is funny. <laughs> what, what, is, what is it about a two-down clear that makes it, uh, that makes it simpler um, for um, folks that are out there kind of wondering about that? Yeah, I just think, I think one, you get from side to side easier. Um, you know, we had always kind of cleared it in an open. Um, so when the ball was in the middle of the field, our up guys didn't really know where they were supposed to be. Um, so it kind of made our motions a little bit easier. Um, and honestly, you know, you only really need one defenseman with a great stick and your goalie's got to have a good stick, right? You don't need three defensemen that can throw, you know, dime outlets. Um, so, you know, we've, we've been really successful with it and, um, you know, it's like anything, our guys care and they bought in and, um, you know, it's worked for us. Is it hard to get into as far as like quickly enough, particularly with the 22nd clear clock now? So that's kind of where, where we had to tweak a little bit, but what we've done is we've just kept both short sticks kind of, as we call them, hunting the ball. Um, so instead of just having goalie and two outlets, we got a goalie and outlet and two shorties who can just get us out. Um, and we manipulate their patterns and how we want them to do it. But um, yeah, I mean, that was our original challenge, right? If you're trying to fly guys out, you don't have a lot of support for the ball. Uh, if teams press down and, and that's where we had to, again, adapt as, as teams caught on to what we were doing. Yeah, cool. Um, so let's, um, let's turn the uh, conversation to recruiting. Um, how's recruiting? Um, talk to us about, about what you're selling and how it's going. Yeah. I mean, listen, we're selling, we're selling the city of New York and, and being a part of a program that's, that's trending the right way. Um, it's going really well. I think, you know, we're definitely a little bit more patient. Um, you know, I've found for us that uh, we want to find guys that really want to be here. I think that's the number one piece to our recruiting philosophy is, is nobody's coming here to do us a favor and, and help us out at Manhattan college. Um, you know, I look at the guys who have had a ton of success for us, you know, we have a, a four-year captain who came back for his fifth year, a guy named Luke Hansen. He didn't have any other Division One offers. Um, and we have, a, we have a roster of guys like that. Um, and those are the guys we get the most out of because they're the most willing to invest in their experience here. So um, we're cool with taking the diamonds in the rough. Um, you know, we never ask a guy in the process, you know, who else are you looking at? You know, we want – we trust our evaluations, and, and those are the guys we go after. But, you know, the other piece for us that's probably a little bit unique is, you know, we want guys that want to be in New York city. Um, yeah. so I think it takes a little bit of a, an older, more mature person, uh, to know that, you know, especially, you know, I'm thankful the recruiting rules changed. Um, you know, bringing a sophomore to New York city can be a little intimidating or a freshman to New York city can be a little intimidating for mom. Um, so we were getting kind of the later guys anyways, and we're cool with that. 
you know, as long as, again, the guys that want to be here and are passionate about Manhattan lacrosse as, as we are, uh, those are the guys that have worked out for us. New York City is the greatest city in the world. It sure is, man. I mean, listen, like, you know, it's obviously a little bit different right now, but I mean, you know, that's why I live there. You know, my wife and I love New York City and, um, you know, I, I mean, you can go to any NHL game, NFL game, concert, you name it. You know, I don't know who uh, Chance the Rapper is, but, you know, last year I know all my guys went to see him. I heard he's cool. <laughs> but the energy. Oh, it's awesome. The energy. You can feel it, you know, when you get there. Oh, definitely. It's, you know, I don't take for granted my drive home down the West Side Highway. You know, you get to see the World Trade Center. And um, I mean, it's a powerful place to be, man. It's it's really, really cool. And, you know, we're, we're really fortunate to, to be able to live here and coach here. So, where Where is Manhattan? So we're in the Bronx. Uh, we're out in Riverdale. Um, it's, you know, we're, we're kind of a, we're about six miles from Midtown. Um, we're right at the end of the one train. So, you know, you're a 30 minute subway ride from, uh, from Times Square and, and anything you want. Yeah. Awesome. And when you're in, in the recruiting in this COVID world uh, with film, how did you find your recruiting work, um, you know, based on a thousand percent film? You know, I, I think, it's a little bit of Plinko right now from my uh, price is right passion here, but you know, you kind of drop the ball down and, and you got to You're taking a little bit of guesswork, but um, you know, we've spent more time talking to coaches and people that we trust than even just the film. Um, you know, I'm a believer in, in these, these coaches should know their guys the, the best and, you know, guys that we've worked with in the past who have sent us guys who have worked, uh, worked here in Manhattan. We've spent a lot of time with them on, on guys that they think are good fits um, and then, yeah, obviously <laughs> a lot of film, um, you know, every 2021 or 22, that's emailing us, you know, we're watching and giving an evaluation and, you know, it's, we're, we still have plenty of 21 spots here. I mean, we could probably take five or six more. Um, and I, well, I Drew, man, I really enjoyed this conversation. Summer, you know, um, it's always good to catch up and uh, reminisce about, uh, PG good times as well as just to hear about your philosophies on everything and the way you're building the program. You know, we'll always take, uh, I really appreciate um, I'm not it. In a rush. It's, it's an honor to be on here with, with um, you know, we want to just, you've had the right people just to even get the And how big is your roster? Let's go Jaspers. We're at about 40 baby right now. All right, you take care of great size. There's a lot of rosters that are swelling into the, into the mid to high fifties and low sixties. Yeah. I mean, listen, like, you know, my second year here, we were 56. Um, that was just too much for us, you know, as a staff and our resource. Again, we don't, you know, again, it's who we are. We have, you know, 41 lockers in our locker room. We, we don't have an equipment guy, you know, we, we manage a lot of this stuff. So knowing the sweet spot for what, you know, our capacity is, we try to stay between 40 and 45, um, you know, and we had five fifth year seniors come back this year. So, you know, we're really lucky in that regards. And, um, you know, we think 43 is probably right where we want to be. Well, Drew, man, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, it's always good to catch up and uh, reminisce about uh, good times as well as just to hear about your philosophies on everything and the way you're building the program. No, I really appreciate it, Jamie. And it's, a, it's an honor to be on here with, with you know, some of the coaches you've had. It's, it's cool just to, to even get the text. Let's go, Jaspers. Yeah, baby. <laughs> All right, Drew, take care, buddy. Thanks, Jamie. Later. Later, man.